Before we get to that ear candy that is in the bullpen with Mark Dewey, the new baseball podcast on the Fight Laugh Feast Network, if you're a Fight Laugh Feast Club member, first I want you to take your right hand, place it over your left shoulder, and pat yourself on the back. Yes, this show is happening because of you deciding to become a Fight Laugh Feast Club member and helping us build rowdy Christian media. So thank you, thank you, thank you. The second thing I want you to do is you should already be on the Fight Laugh Feast app. If you're not on the Fight Laugh Feast app, you will not get the rest of the shows with Mark Dewey. We are going to drop three shows on the iTunes thingamabobber. And then after that, if you want to listen to Mark Dewey in the bullpen with Mark Dewey every week, you're going to have to have the Fight Laugh Feast app. So these three shows are just a taste for you to get the Fight Laugh Feast app. Come, come, remember. Oh, shameless plug. All right. In the bullpen with Mark Dewey. Do you have a backbone? Does Major League Baseball? I believe Mike Fires does. I know. He broke the code. And with Big Poppy, you say the code should never be broken. But with C.S. Lewis, I say... Don't talk damned nonsense. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. Listen, I know the code, I understand the code, and in many ways I appreciate the code. But any code which suggests, let alone demands, that a person does not do what is morally good in order to expose what is morally evil, that is a code of dishonor, and it can't be upheld. Mike Fires is a hero, and he's not a goat. And if that doesn't convince you, I'll ask you this question. If you were there in the 1940s, would you have suggested that Branch Rickey abide by the code? Think about it. Well, opening day was supposed to be only three days a week away. It was supposed to be Thursday, March the 26th. Major League Baseball's 2020 season was going to begin. But of course, we know that that is not happening, and we do not know when it will happen in 2020. We do not know if it will happen in 2020. We are all hoping for the sake of the well-being of people in general that this whole COVID virus shuts down and gets under control and things can return to uh, normal, at least as far as it can be on the other side of this. But we do not know when that's going to happen, and so we don't know what's going to happen with baseball. But if we think back, and I know it's hard, but if we just go back a few weeks before all of this hit, this now, the COVID virus, the COVID-19 virus, which is the talk of the world, that the talk of baseball prior to this was the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal. The talk began back in November when the interview with Mike Fires was released, and it became public what had happened. And then for two months, we waited. We waited for the commissioner to do his research, his investigation, and to tell us, was Mike Fires telling us the truth? And to what degree were the Astros guilty of stealing signs? Well, that report was released in January, and it was a bombshell. It was an earthquake. And on the same day as that report was released, a longtime baseball writer, Thomas Boswell, who's written for the Washington Post, I think since he graduated from college, wrote these words. If this Astros ugliness doesn't convince moral relativists to find some backbone 
and admit that sometimes there really is a right and a wrong, and that the wrong must be punished, then what will? And even though I don't recall reading any other reporters who wrote with that kind of boldness and with that kind of moral confidence, a lot of things like that were said from January, about January 13th, through the start of spring training about a month later. People were upset. People saw the wrongness of it, the evil of it, the injustice of it, the need for something to be done about it. But then we get to spring training. And as we arrive in spring training, the press conferences start, the interviews start, statements are being made, and and players are are issuing what many would refer to as so-called apologies. And the hopes that this story might kind of die down and people would be excited about spring training in the 2020 season, it didn't happen. It actually blew up. It actually became a, a bigger issue. And a large part, and really kind of what kicked it off in spring training, was in day one when the Houston owners, uh, the Houston Astros owner Jim Crane held a press conference. And in that, he said a number of things that really bothered people, and rightfully so. And there's something that he said that was touched on in the media, but something that really bothered me. And I want, to, I want you to listen to what he said, and then I want to talk about it. MLB also acknowledged that the players should not be punished for the failure of our leadership. The leaders enabled, condoned, and did not stop those actions that happened. I also agree that our players should not be punished for these actions. These are a great group of guys who did not receive proper guidance from their leaders. So you see, Boswell was responding to the fact that there's right and wrong and that some of those who are guilty of doing the wrong, the players, were not going to be punished. By that comment right there, it seems to suggest to me that Jim Crane was saying, well, no, they shouldn't be punished because they didn't really do anything wrong. It was all about the leaders. The leaders did not do what they should have done. Now, I agree that the leaders did not do what they should have done, what they could have done. And they have suffered the consequences. Jeff Luno and A.J. Hinch, when the report came out, they were suspended from baseball, which means not only they couldn't work in baseball, they couldn't go to any professional baseball ballparks or events through the 2020 season. Almost immediately after that, Jim Crane fired them both. They are suffering the consequences of their lack of inaction. But to say that because they didn't do all they could have, they didn't do what was right, the players are not guilty for doing what is wrong is an obscene statement. Manfred said this was a player-driven scheme. Now we know, and more information came out after he made that statement, that it involved far more than players, but it definitely didn't involve anything less than the players. And those players did not get punished. And Jim Crane seems to suggest that they shouldn't be because they really didn't do anything wrong. Let's go back to moral relativism. What do you mean? There's a right and there's a wrong. And if there is, people are sometimes doing what is right and sometimes doing what is wrong. And when we do what is wrong, there needs to be punishment. So Crane fired a lot of people up day one. A few days later, Rod Manfred upset anybody that hadn't been upset by Jim Crane's comments, got upset by his statements, both his actions and his inactions as well. Now, during this all, I will say that there's something that was said that was very valuable to understand and to hear and to, and to embrace, and I hope that baseball has. It was said by Tony Clark. He, of course, is a former baseball player, had a fine big league career, 
and he's now the uh, Major League Baseball Players Association chief. So he represents the players as the union head, if you will. But he said words that are very important. He said that what the sides do in the next few weeks, and by the sides he's talking, of course, about the players and about ownership and the commissioner, what they do in the next few weeks, so this would have been through February, maybe early March, but it would have been prior to COVID-19, that that will impact baseball for the next few decades. I think that's an astute statement, and I think it is one that we will see play out over the next few decades. So through all of this, there were responses coming from every quarter of the world. So from baseball and people that are still playing to covering it, from other sports figures like LeBron James, and from people that, generally speaking, wouldn't have a whole lot of interest in baseball. But this, is get, this was getting people riled up. So spring training was, was people were fired up, and it was the story, and every other story was being squashed underneath it. And I could cite any number of sources and what they said, but I actually want to read from an article that came out prior to all the hoopla in spring training. It was published February 12th, which I believe was the day before Jim Crane's interview, and then all that followed that. And it was in the Players' Tribune. It was written by Trevor Bauer, and the title of the article was, I Wish I'd Been Wrong. In part, this is what Bauer wrote. Look, Major League Baseball is a business. It cares about perception and profits. It looks at the game that way, and it should. I care about perception and profits, too but I also care about how the game is played and the integrity of it. On the field, the players look at the game as a competition, and they're trying to win. If I lose, fine. But if I lose and then find out that you were cheating, that you had an advantage that I either didn't have access to or chose not to utilize because it was technically illegal, then, and I'll paraphrase here, that chaps me. Picking back up with Bauer. That can't happen. Believe me, how I feel is not part of this story. That's not what matters here. The game is what matters, above everything else. And I want to see a level playing field for everyone. I want the game to be played with integrity. And I want people to understand that even though the scandal was about what happened between the lines at Minute Maid Park, it had ripple effects that spread throughout the league to every park and to players at every position. Those are some great words. Well, why did I choose? Of all the resources I could have gone to, why did I choose that one to read to you? Well, there's a few reasons. Number one, as I mentioned, because it was written before things really blew up in spring training. So it was written post-commission report in January, but pre-everything that happened in spring training. Also, because I believe that the words are very sound. And I have a respect for Trevor Bauer's story. And I'm not talking about the story that he wrote for the Players' Tribune, but his life story. I appreciate the fact that he is bold and that he's uncompromising, that he's going to speak his mind and he's not going to apologize unless he actually believes he did something wrong. I like that. I especially like that he writes things like, how I feel is not part of this story. Because it's it, we got to remove ourselves from how we feel and get to the objective nature of things, which he does by talking about the integrity of the game. So his words resonated with me and the thoughts that have been expressed by so many others that, that echo his words, have resonated with the overwhelming uh, number of people in the baseball world and beyond regarding this situation. And it's understandable why everybody is so furious. This is indeed a scandal of the highest making. And we want justice. 
It's great because it's a reflection that even though fallen and marred by sin, we still have the image of God, and we know that justice matters, and we want to see justice served. And it's interesting reading, I don't know how many dozens, maybe over a hundred articles throughout the months about this, I read words like forgiveness and atonement and redemption. Definitely not words of a moral relativist. But I want to focus on a word that has been used over and over again. It was used twice by Bauer in his article, and that's the word integrity. What upsets people so much is that we expect a a moral soundness of other people or other groups of people when they're dealing with one another. And when that doesn't happen... It upsets us, and it's understandable. We get, we understand that integrity is important, and a lack of integrity damages people, damages the game of baseball, and damages life. We get that, and that's why everybody was upset. Now, one of the things that's been a bit more difficult is for people to wrap their mind around what, what is the best way to handle this. Now, most everybody has said, says, suggested that Rob Manfred did not handle it the way he should have that the Astro players got off too easy. But what exactly should happen? Now, as I said, so many people made comments, including a lot of prominent current Major League Baseball players. But one that might have been as surprising and as poignant as any is the the comment made or comments made by Mike Trout because he is a man that is highly respected, not just because he's arguably the best player in baseball, but because of the fact that I've been told he's also the best teammate in baseball. And he's not a guy who, uh, who chirps. But yet when he spoke up, people listen. You give a listen. If you know what's coming, it's going to definitely help you. I think, I think that's, you know, it's tough. You're taking a trophy away, taking, taking the rings away. Um, I think they should definitely do something. Um, I don't. I don't know what, but to just to cheat like that and not get anything, it's, it's, uh, it's sad to see, for sure. Sad to see. Or as Boswell would say, it's just wrong. What should we do? How do we handle it? Well, we're talking about this in mid-March, and there's a lot of so-called water under the bridge, and sin complicates everything. But if we want to look at it objectively and how a situation like this ought to be handled, we have the very clear teaching of Scripture. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes this about athletics or an athlete. He says, Also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned, some translations have, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Very simple, very straightforward. If you don't compete according to the rules, you're not crowned. You don't win the prize. So, if I compete and I compete not according to the rules, and it's demonstrated that I did not compete according to the rules, I'm not crowned, I don't win the prize. There are no medals, trophies, rings, or plaques. This is serious business. This is requiring us that if we have even an ounce of moral relativism within us, a situation like this is demanding that we get rid of it. This is a major scandal. As a matter of fact, I would say it is the biggest scandal in the history of Major League Baseball. You might disagree with me, but let me make my point. Okay? This scandal, I believe, is the worst that has ever happened. And the question that I have, I, I talked about how it rocked the baseball world, or it was an earthquake. 
Just like other earthquakes, what we don't know when a big earthquake hits, what we don't know is, okay, following that, will there be just smaller aftershocks? Or is this a big earthquake that actually precedes an even larger seismic event? And just like with earthquakes, we have to wait. Time will tell us the answer to that question. And I believe that time will tell us which kind of earthquake this is. But I believe that this is the greatest scandal in Major League Baseball history. And maybe I say that because I'm a former pitcher. Because you see, what I would say is second to it is the steroid scandal. Some people would argue with me on that. And maybe, again, it's because I'm a former pitcher. But this is how I think about it. I pitched during the steroids era. Undoubtedly, I faced guys that were on steroids, which means they had an advantage I did not have. But here's the thing. If I executed quality pitches to these guys, I was going to win the battle far more times than I was going to lose it. If I made a bad pitch, sure, then maybe what would have been a fly ball turns into a double or a home run because of steroids. But if I make my pitches, I'm going to be okay. Think about the intro. And at some point in time, I've, I've held out so far, but at some point in time, I'm going to tell the story of where I was and what was going on when Kirk Gibson hit that home run in Game 1 of the 1988 World Series. And we heard Vince Scully's wonderful call of it at the beginning of our podcast. But if you recall, after the fact, Gibby gave an interview, and this may have even been when he was done playing, I don't remember, but he gave an interview. And if you remember the, the at-bat, okay, so we have the situation, it's the bottom of the ninth, the A's are leading Game 1 against the Dodgers by a run, Mike Davis walks, Kirk Gibson comes to the plate. He hobbles to the plate. Nobody thought he could play. He was functioning on about half a leg. And he hobbles to the plate. And, and Dodger Stadium is going nuts. And immediately, he falls behind Dennis Eckersley, zero balls and two strikes. And it looks like it's over. It looks like the A's are off to a, a one nothing advantage in the World Series. And then Gibby battles and battles and battles and battles, and he works the count to 3-2. And he gets in the box, and right before X about to deliver the pitch, he calls time. And then he tells us afterwards that when he did so, he stepped out of the box and he said this. He said, partner, as sure as you're standing here, you're going to see that backdoor slider. He got back in the box. X threw him the backdoor slider. Home run. The most dramatic and the most memorable home run, I believe, in Major League Baseball history. How did he do it on half a leg? Well, obviously, he's very strong, but he did it because due to the scouting reports, the advanced scouting reports he received, as well as his baseball IQ, he knew what was coming, or at least he sold out for what was coming. And he got it, and he hit a home run. If you know what's coming, a lot of things can happen that do not happen if you don't know it's coming. One other piece of evidence why I'm arguing that the Astros scandal is more significant than the steroid scandal. A person who is by no means a stranger to steroids, by his own admission, Jose Canseco, gave his view on this. He said that if he had to choose between steroids or performance-enhancing drugs, or knowing what was coming, he would choose knowing what is coming. So that's why I think the scandals, the uh, scandal of the Astros is far worse than the steroid scandal. Now, some might argue the steroid scandal lasted a lot longer and involved more teams. That's legitimate, and I've thought about that. One person that has come close to swaying me to flip my order and say that steroids actually are worse 
than sign stealing is Doug Glanville. Obviously, he had a fine Major League Baseball career. He's a broadcaster now, works for ESPN. And back earlier this month, he wrote an article arguing why he believed that steroids were worse. And I think it's worthwhile for you to read that article. I believe it was March 9th that he wrote it, so you could probably find it easy enough. He wrote it for ESPN. I just want to read the last two sentences of that article. He wrote, PEDs have the power to push you out of the game much more quickly and thoroughly than one team illegally stealing signs. And maybe most cruel of all, sometimes that final push can come from the guy high-fiving you in the dugout wearing the same uniform. Ouch. That's a powerful argument. It's actually a powerful ending to a powerful argument. And he still yet may sway me to flip my order. But there's a one phrase in there that I'm holding out on. He said that it can be much more quickly and thoroughly than one team. One team. Well, we don't know it's one team. Even as we speak, we're still waiting to find out what the Red Sox are guilty of. And even after that comes out, how long before we know how many teams were involved in it? But whatever order you want to go, right now I'm going Astros worse, steroids second. I don't believe that the other scandals that are very well known in baseball history really compare to the two. The first would be, of course, the Black Sox scandal of 1919, when eight of the members of the Chicago White Sox intentionally lost the World Series because they received money from gamblers to the Cincinnati Reds. That was a huge scandal. But I believe it, it's in a different category than both steroids and sign stealing. And of course, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, the judge, was the first commissioner and he was brought in to deal with this situation. And I don't know if he was familiar with the Bible or not, but the way he handled it made me think he understood what Ecclesiastes 8.11 says. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. He came in with an iron fist, and he handled this situation in a very strong manner, and he established Rule 21, in particular 21D2, which says any player, umpire, or club or league official or employee who shall bet any sum whatsoever upon any baseball game in connection with which the better has a duty to perform shall be declared permanently ineligible. He came in and he said, there's right and there's wrong, and wrong is going to be punished. And he laid down the law. And think about it. Since 1919, or if you want to say 1920 when this came into effect, I believe it was 20, maybe 21, how many people have been declared permanently ineligible for betting on a game in which they had a duty to perform? The answer to that, of course, is one, Pete Rose. So Kennesaw Mountain Landis did something that impacted the game positively and put an end, essentially, at least proven what we can prove, to that problem. Pete Rose is the one exception. Now, Pete Rose, when all this came down, he said, wait a second, what I did doesn't compare. And he reinstated so that he could have that lifetime ban, that permanent suspension, lifted, that he would be declared eligible, which of course makes him eligible for the Hall of Fame. And I agree that what Pete Rose did does not compare to the sign-stealing scandal. Pete Rose, from what we know, and we've had 30 years to, to get all the evidence, bet on baseball after he was done playing, only as a manager, 
and only on his team to win. His eligibility for the Hall of Fame is based upon his playing career, not his managerial career. And he bet on his team to win, not to lose. It doesn't compare to the sign-stealing scandal. I agree with Pete Rose completely on that one. So does that mean that Pete Rose belongs in the Hall of Fame? Well, I don't necessarily think that. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us.